Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Good news in the church offices this week. The good news is our new phone system is partially operational. It's gradually getting hooked up. And our DSL internet connection, which gives us a lot better internet access and email access and that sort of thing, is working. The bad news is our DSL internet connection makes our primary printer not work properly. But the good news is we have a maintenance contract with the printer company, and uh, they have an expert. But the bad news is we <laughs> called him, and he said, you should have called us before you hooked up the DSL. <laughs> he said, I'd like to slap that guy, he says, the, the guy that hooked it up. Well, it wasn't me. I didn't hook it up, you know. <laughs> but the good news is he knows how to fix the problem. <laughs> and with a little more hardware and a little more programming, everything's going to work just right. <laughs> The expert's name, uh, his initials that he goes by is a man named RJ, and after I listened to him talk in computer language for a while, which, you know, my, I may know more about computers that you, more, more than you do, some of you, but not that much. You know, if Jeff had been here, he would have understood what this guy was saying, but he's talking, talking, talking. After a while, I said, RJ, what do I need to do to fix this? How can I move this along? You know, tell me what I need to do and, uh, and then you come and do what you need to do. So he said, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. I said, yes. So I've done my part and he'll come and do his. Last week we looked in Hebrews 3 at a warning that God gives us about keeping our hearts soft, about not getting a hard heart. As we go on in the passage, God is going to give us more detail about how to keep the problem from happening or we might also say how to fix it if it has occurred. We're going to read the whole passage to get the whole flow of it. We're just going to be considering the second half. But we're going to start in Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me. They saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation, and I said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin." For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, who corpse, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? 
And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. In verse, verses 12 through 19, we want to look today at how to keep your heart soft. The first thing we want to understand is this. Avoiding a hard heart requires a high state of alert. Chuck understands high state of alert. You pay attention to the news this week. We moved up the scale one notch in terrorist alert warning. We heard that you're going to be opening 75% of the trunks of the cars that go across. He won't tell us if that's true because they don't want you to know what to expect. <laughs> but they're going to be looking a lot harder at everybody that goes across the border in the next few days because there's a potential for somebody to sneak in and do some more damage like what was done on September 11th. A high state of alert. We look at that and we say, good! Since we're right here on the border, we don't want anybody sneaking in and doing damage around here. We want a high state of alert. Friends, God tells us that if we want to avoid becoming spiritually hard, we've got to be alert. He literally uses a word that says, watch out. It's, an eye for, it's a word for the eyes. Keep watching, keep looking, pay attention. Pay attention. I'm guessing that most of you don't think there's any way your heart could be hardened toward God. I hope that's true. I know it'll be true if you keep watching. But listen to these verses from Proverbs 29. He who often is rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Are you paying attention all the time when somebody comes and rebukes you? How do you respond? We're going to learn more about that in just a minute. Here's the reason we've really got to be paying attention. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful. Above all things, above all things, your heart, your inner man, your inner person and mine is deceitful. Above everything. And you think, boy, Pastor Dave, how can that be? You know how that can be? Because your inner man, your heart, is full of sin. Now when Christ comes in and takes away our sin, we have the opportunity to live in righteousness. But the habit of the sin nature keeps pulling on our heart. And so we've got to watch out. We've got to be careful. We've got to be on alert if we're going to avoid a hard heart. Secondly, we've got, to we've got to have a decisive faith. Avoiding a hard heart requires a decisive faith. Look what he says there in verse 12. Brethren, watch out, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's a little hard to know which one of these phrases comes first, either the unbelief or the departing. It seems to me that they're wrapped up together like this. That if you don't truly believe in God, you depart. Or you could turn it around and say, if you have stepped away from God, the reason is because you don't fully believe in Him. 
You see, the, the Israelites, the, the people of God in the Old Testament, when they were enslaved in Egypt, God came along and said, I'm going to deliver you. And they said, great. And so they were there in their houses with the blood on the doorpost. The death angel came and passed over them and only struck those who were not believing God. And they were delivered out of Egypt across the Red Sea. And they came out into the land and they looked forward to going into the place that God had laid out for them. And they chickened out. They said, they said literally, the, the people there are giants and we're like ants in their sight. Now it was true, there were giants in the land. One of their descendants is a guy named Goliath, who was nine feet tall. That's a big dude. The Chinese uh, man who plays basketball, he's only seven foot something. Think about Goliath being head and shoulders taller than that guy. And he was big, too. We read about some of the stuff that he carried, his, his war, implements of warfare. He was big and strong. And so, yeah, yeah, you look at that big challenge and you're going, whoa, we're like ants in their sight. But as we learned last week, they'd completely forgotten about the tremendous miracle God did, many miracles getting them to that point. You see, they believed God could deliver them out of Egypt, but they didn't believe God could bring them into the promised land. They got to a hard spot, and somehow they, they just said, oh, can't be done. And so they quit believing in God. Now, did they lose their eternal salvation? I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I don't know. Now, here's why I don't know because I don't know if they were true believers to begin with. Here's my best understanding of the scripture. When they exerted faith in God at the Passover, that was the point at which they believed in God for their salvation. But it came time to believe in God for their daily deliverance from sin. And they said, God can't do it. And they were comfortable with that. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable saying, well, I believe in Christ as my Savior, and I'm going to heaven when I die, but when it comes to living my life day by day, I'm going to have to take care of things myself. Because what God has told me, that's too tough. If that's the case, then you're doing what Hebrews 3.12 says, you are departing from the living God. You are moving away from God. You are stopping your trust in God and putting it in yourself. What needs to happen is a decisive faith. Do you believe God or do you not? Have you decided to believe in Christ as your Savior? Have you decided to trust Him day by day by day? Beware, lest the evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God come up. The third thing that a, avoiding a hard heart requires is this. Avoiding a hard heart requires redemptive relationships. Look at verse 13. Look at what, the, what God puts forward as a major solution to this problem. Exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
He says that us believers have a responsibility to exhort one another. The word exhort comes from the same word that is the name of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. The word is parakaleo. It means to come along beside to help. What does the Holy Spirit do for you? He convicts you of sin. He encourages you. He strengthens you. He said all of that stuff, we're supposed to be doing that to one another as Christians. We're supposed to be having a ministry to one another. I think this ministry needs to happen in three main arenas. And the first one is personal. Ministry to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this should happen wherever you meet them, but certainly it should happen here. Have you thought about the fact as you're driving to church in the morning, I wonder who God wants me to encourage or rebuke today? Have you thought about the fact that I think what God is saying he wants, and certainly he reiterates it later in Hebrews 10, is he wants a whole church full of preachers, not just one. Yeah. Not professionals, but personal exhortation. And then I think that the second arena of, of this exhortation needs to be what I would call public, which is witnessing both inside and outside the church. Do you know what witnessing is? Witnessing is when you tell what you have observed or what you know to be true. You know what the most powerful thing you can do in sharing Christ with someone who doesn't know Christ is? You can tell them what God has done for you. Say, this is, what, this is what my life used to be like. This is what my life is like now. Do you know what needs to happen in this church on Sunday morning when we're gathered together or on Sunday night or on Wednesday night at Awana? When somebody talks to you about a problem in their life, about a struggle they're having, you need to point them right straight to God. Think about the last time somebody talked to you about a struggle in their life. A Christian. I'm thinking primarily about Christians. People who call themselves believers. Did you look them right in the eye and say, God can help you with that? And you know why you need to do that for them? Because if they don't take God's solution, if they look to themselves and turn toward themselves and away from God, do you know what's going to start to happen? Their heart's going to start to get hard. Now, you don't want anybody here to have a hard heart, do you? I don't. And that means exhorting, which could include encouraging, rebuking, all kinds of things, is the most loving thing you could do for a fellow believer in Christ. When they're telling you about their problem and you're, and you're thinking, your wheels are turning and you're going, oh my goodness, that's not a godly way to act. Do you sit there like this? Or do you say, Boy, friend, I love you. That's why I'm going to say, do you know what God's word says? That's what our church needs to be like. Not that we're going around looking and saying, oh, yeah, I think, yeah, I want to tell you a thing or two, buddy, and I want to tell you a thing or two. No, 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 no. We don't come to church with some kind of spiritual chip on our shoulder, but we come to church saying, I wonder what ministry God has for me today. I wonder who needs to be encouraged. Great verse that says, Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. I wonder who God wants me to cry with today. And I wonder who God wants me to go, Yeah, that's great. I wonder who God wants me to rebuke. And then the third arena of this exhortation ought to be pastoral. 
It ought to be happening here in the pulpit and in my office and wherever I am. That's a major area of, of church ministry. One author put it this way, We judge and criticize others, but we do not faithfully exhort and rebuke. Some professing Christians never mention to other Christians the things of the Lord, even though eternity lies right ahead. Instead, we should have our fellow Christians upon our hearts constantly in solicitous love so that we could have tender boldness to exhort them if we saw them going astray or tempted to turn aside. Instead of criticizing one another, we should care for one another. Now I want to turn this just a little bit this morning. Exhort one another as you see the day coming to keep one another from having a hard heart. Now let's turn it around and make the fingers point toward ourselves. How do you respond when somebody comes to you with an exhortation? How do you respond when somebody comes and says, Brother, sister, I think you're missing the boat here. I'm concerned about the direction you're heading. How do you respond? Well, how dare they? Judge not that you be not judged. We get all self-righteous and spiritual, and the truth is we're being convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit through our brother. And what are we doing? Hebrews 3.12. We're hardening our hearts. What did Pharaoh do when Moses went down and said, Hey, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Do you know what the scripture says? It says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. I don't care what your God, who your God is or what he says. When somebody comes to you and says, have you considered this? Have you considered that? At that moment in time, you have a great conflict between your personal pride and your humility, not before the person, but your humility before God. God says we have a re responsibility to exhort one another. It, we need to have redemptive relationships. It's great to be friends and to be friendly. It's greater to be redemptive in our relationship, helping our brothers and sisters to become more like Christ day by day. Why is this so urgent? Look at verse 13. What does he say in particular brings hardening of the heart? He says it's the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. How does sin deceive us? Well, first of all, sin promises no punishment. What did the devil say when he came to Eve? He said, Eve, you will not surely die. Now, isn't that directly opposite of what God said? It is. God said, if you eat of this, you're going to die. Satan said, no, you won't die. There won't be any consequences to my sin. That's one of the great things we need to exhort people toward when they come to us and share their difficulties, their concerns, and they're picking a path of action that involves sin. We need to say, brother, sister, have you considered what might come out here? We need to warn people about the consequences of sin. Now, if you're choosing a path of sin, do you know the consequences are there? Most of the time, you probably do. But you have convinced yourself it won't happen to you. I'm going to get away with it. And that's why the brother or sister needs to come around and say, Warning, 
Be careful. I had a dear old saint in our church in Tukwila who's with the Lord many years now. And she was bound and determined on a certain path of action in her life. And every person around her said, caution, caution, caution. And she went straight ahead. This is a 70-plus-year-old who's known the Lord for years. She went straight ahead on her own path. And you know what? She was wrong. And she came running back later on, and the Lord mercifully delivered her. But she did not listen. We need to listen to our brothers and sisters. You know what? They're not going to be right all the time. You know why? Because they're sinners too. But if they really love us, we should listen and then go talk to the Lord about the input they're giving us. Sin promises no punishment, no consequences. And so we think, oh, maybe this will be okay. Secondly, sin deceives us by claiming to give liberty. 2 Peter 2.19 says this about false teachers. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Sin claims to make your life better. Not only will there not be consequences, but your life's going to be better by doing this. When people are talking to you about making sinful choices and they're saying, this is going to just be great for my life, you need to look them right in the eye and say, no, it won't. I don't know how it's going to change your life, but I know that sin will never, never bring joy and fulfillment in your life. Thirdly, sin never lives alone. That's one of the great deceits of sin. One sin breeds another. Think about King David in the Old Testament. Uh, he was basically a godly man, but he came to a point in his life where he stood on the balcony of his house, and he looked down on the balcony or on the, the rooftop of another house, and there was a beautiful woman having a bath. And what should he have done? Turned around and walked away. Just as a sidebar, men, the chief way to avoid the temptation of the flesh, flesh is to make no provision for it. Turn your head, turn the channel, look away. That's what he should have done. That's what we should do. But no. He looked and he said, oh, she's beautiful. First sin was looking at her as she was taking a bath in what would be considered a private place because the top of a house is not seen from the street. It would only be seen from the high rise in town and there was only one of those and that was the king's place. She was in a private place and he looked and he lusted on her. That was his first sin. See, we think about the other sin, but this first sin was lust. And you know what, folks? Sin is never content to live alone. It always has brothers and sisters. And so his sin of lust led him to take action and think, I want to have her. And so being the king, he just sent for her. That was the second sin. And the third sin was his adultery. And the fourth sin was lying. We forget the sin of lying that's going on in there when he, you know, brings her husband home under the pretense of bringing a report from the battle and come home and, you know, have a bath and a good meal and be with your wife tonight. You've earned it. You're a good soldier. The whole thing was a lie. And the soldier is so dedicated to God and the king, he won't do it. And he goes back to the battle so David commits the next sin by saying, Putting him up, put him up front in the battle and let him be killed. 
See, sin never lives alone. If you hear your brother or sister talk about one sin, you need to go right to them and say, brother or sister, confess that sin, get right with God, throw yourself on the mercy of God, don't go any farther. You know what happens when sin is let go? You start out over here, living for the Lord, and you take this one step. And then there's another step. And pretty soon, you're over here going, yeah! And you think, how did I get down here? You know how? Because you took this step, and you took this step, and you took this step. Sin never lives alone. And we've got to warn. We've got to warn one another. Say, don't do that sin. You, you, you see somebody fall in a big sin. You can be sure there were many steps that led up to it. Sin is so deceitful that we need a brother or sister to look us right in the eye and say, are you kidding me? You ever, have you ever said that to somebody? You might have said it to your children. They try to put one over on you. You know, they're coming home going, well, you know, the car broke down and we didn't quite get home on time. And you're thinking, I wasn't born yesterday. <laughs> right? You need to say that to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in church. If you hear them talking about something that's just not right, you need to look them right in the eye and say, are you kidding me? You're really going to do that? That's sinful. And it is not going to bring you the joy that you're seeking. We need to exhort one another. And part of that exhortation needs to be encouragement. We come to church and somebody's really, they've been doing the righteous thing and they've been paying the price for it. We need to hold their hand and say, oh, brother or sister, keep doing the right thing. God's going to make it up to you. Maybe now, maybe later. We need, to, we need to hold their hand. We need to exhort them. Whatever is needed, we need to be doing that. That is our, our responsibility, not my responsibility. It's our responsibility. Fourth thing that we need to do if we're going to avoid a hard heart is this. We need to take God seriously. Look at, look at uh, verse 7 says, Today, if you will hear his heart, do not harden your hearts and so on. Now look at verse 15. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Why does God repeat that? I mean, if we were writing the Bible, wouldn't we leave out all the repetition? <laughs> because we would think, well, I just told you that. Why do you repeat things to your kids? Uh, duh, Pastor Dave. Because my kids, seem, things seem to go in one ear and out the other. When God repeats something, especially when he repeats it so close in the text, I think he's going, Hello! I want you to really get this. And so part of that being on alert needs to be sensitivity to God. Taking God seriously. This is a very serious passage because those people who failed to believe God in the Old Testament in regard to their daily obedience to Him, they were denied the opportunity to ever get to a point of daily joy. God said, you're not going to the promised land. You're not ever going to get there. Now that's harsh. We look at that and say, boy, that's awful harsh. 
God is gracious, but there is a limit to his grace. Let's turn to Psalm, Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is, is a psalm about the Messiah, about Jesus as the deliverer, and it's about how other nations respond to him as the king of Israel and, and eventually the king of the world. I think it also speaks to us of, of our general relationship to God. Look at how God... In this psalm, we're going to read it, and look how God responds to those who don't take him seriously. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed ones, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces. Let us cast away their cords from us, their restraints. He who sits in the heavens will laugh the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. In this first part of the psalm, he's saying that, that the kings of the earth are going to look up at God and say, let's tear off the restraints God has put on us. And it says God's going to look down and say, are you kidding me? You think you can rise up against me? Friends, when you choose to live in sin, you're doing the same thing. You're going, let's tear off the restraints God's put on us. And God's up in heaven and saying, are you kidding? I put that there for your good. What you should do is what he says later on is kiss the son. He's not talking about kissing on the lips. He's talking about the idea of, of, giving, uh, of giving homage, of giving obedience, like you would to a superior, to a king. In that day, you would maybe bow down and kiss his feet and say, yes, you are the king. Humanly, we, we, we kind of reject that. Oh, I, we're all equal here. No, we're not all equal. We're all equal, and then there's God. And we need to be believing God and obeying God. God repeats his admonition and he repeats the judgment. In, this, in, the, in Hebrews 3, he repeats both the command and then he, in a different way, verbalizes. He says, now remember, who were the people that came into difficulty? Those who didn't believe. God is so gracious in 2 Peter 2.9, we read this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering or patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I got an email today from a friend of a friend of a friend, a, a real one, not an urban myth, because it was a real friend that sent it to me chronicling the life and relationship of the commander of the space shuttle that just went down. 
of his relationship with a prominent Christian singer who's a real godly man. And how this singer sang at, at the reception they had before the astronauts left. And how this, the commander and the other man who's from Spokane, I don't remember their names, were strong Christians and they were prayer partners. And their wives were prayer partners. And how the commander of the space shuttle led the whole crew in prayer before they took off. Hey, you know what, folks? God is so gracious. I don't know if those other people knew the Lord or not, but they had a chance. Because they lived and worked with two guys who were serious about their Christianity, serious enough to pray in front of a bunch of scientists. God is so gracious. God never writes anybody off but what he doesn't give them an opportunity. You know what, folks? God has been gracious to you today. You're here hearing God's word that says, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. I sat with Ruth Smith the day before she died. She labored to breathe, but not to believe. I, I think of this verse, that one of the verses we read, but I haven't commented on here. It says, we are God's children if we keep our confidence fast till the end. He doesn't mean that we're going to earn our salvation by staying as believers. He says, if we're believers, we do keep our confidence firm to the end. And, and Ruth Smith went out of this world and into heaven believing in Christ as her Savior. God is so gracious. She struggled physically. She told me she lost nine inches of height to osteoporosis, and so it just was hard to breathe. But she stayed firm in her belief to the end. Christian, God has been gracious to you today. You have the chance today to put away that sin that has been deceiving you and coming between you and God and get your heart tender again toward him. If you're here today and you've never believed in Christ as your Savior, you have a great opportunity today, and that is to realize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died to pay for your sins, and that through your faith in Him, your sin will be taken away, and your stony heart, as Ezekiel says, will be replaced with a heart of flesh, a spiritual heart, a tender heart toward God. Let's pray. Father, do your work in our lives today. Keep our hearts tender. Don't let us be deceived by sin. Help us to speak to one another, to exhort one another. What a great privilege is ours to help our brothers and sisters live for you. Help us to do that. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.